August was a titan. He said he used to refer to himself as a race man, a man who was committed and dedicated to uplifting the black race and telling our stories. So he made a commitment to write a play for every decade of the 20th century, and he did. And wonderful plays, a very open, giving man, and a, a great storyteller, a poet, a visionary. I believe he arguably is the most prolific American playwright of the 20th century. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Our weekly podcast originates from and connects the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. Ron Hines is the founder and producing director at the St. Louis Black Repertory Company. He is the Henry E. Hampton Jr. Artist-in-Residence, the PAD Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Working Group at the Performing Arts Department at Washington University. The Black Rep has a national reputation for staging some quality productions from an African-American perspective, and if you have not seen a production, you need to get there. He founded the company back in 1976, produced and directed more than 100 plays at the Black Rep, He, as an actor, has some state and national credits, has received multiple awards, and he's on the line with us to talk about the 45th season. Ron, welcome to St. Louis In Tune. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, Hope you're having a good day. We're having a great day, and I hope that you are, too. I'm just really uh, honored you have taken some time to talk to us today, because the Black Rep has a great reputation nationally, and the 45th anniversary, wow, that's a lot to, to be proud of. Yeah, it's, it's, we are we're proud and happy to be here and um, glad that we were able to make it through the shutdown and recover and open with a wonderful production of Lynn Nottage's Pulitzer Prize winning play, Sweat. Yeah, we're going to get into, I want you to detail some of the season that's coming on, and uh, Sweat has started, and it will continue, what, through Sunday? Is that right, Ron? Right, through September 26th, Sunday afternoon. Now, how did you survive through the pandemic? How did that work for you and the company? What we did was, the first thing we did, of course, like everybody else, is uh, we absorbed the shock the body blows as they were of the shutdown. We were in the midst of an extension week on a show that was doing very well, Spell Number 7 by Antezaki Shange. Mm -hmm. And it had had a very successful run, and so we had held it over for a week. We got the Wednesday evening performance in, I think, and then we got the news that we had to shut down the last four performances that were all sold out. And so we, we held out that we would get our last production in, thinking that this is going to be a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, and we ought to be back. And we had a show scheduled to open in May, and we moved it back to June, and then we realized that it wasn't going to happen. So we wound up canceling that production, started trying to plan for season 44, and everything was tentative, if, if. 
and we wound up not being able to do any live performances during the 44th season. So we, like a lot of theaters and cultural institutions in the company in the country, reverted to virtual programming. Mm-hmm. And so all of last year, we managed to continue to crank out uh, virtual programming. We managed somehow to keep most of our staff. We cut hours, but we didn't lay anybody off. And our audiences, and which because we were virtual, it allowed our audiences to expand. So we had people from all over the country who knew of our work to be able to follow us through the virtual programming that we did through. We did one live performance last October, but we did it outdoors on our parking lot. And so we had some people social distanced and seating on our parking lot. And we actually streamed that performance as well. And then from there, we went on to stream three, four or five other productions over the course of the year, including our major gala. So we didn't even wind up actually canceling our gala, but we made it a virtual event and people supported it as well. So That's we great. Very, very fortunate. It seems like that has been a silver lining for many companies, music and theater and art groups, that they've, they have expanded their audience via the web and via broadcasting these things to more people around the country and actually internationally. And that has really benefited a lot of groups, including your own, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, it really did. And I think that it was really important for us, I think, to a lot of funders and the philanthropic community that we were able to continue operating. And the fact that it was virtual, we had a much wider reach. Now, take us back to 1976 when you founded the the company and... I guess my question is, what got you interested in theater? Were you interested when you were in high school at Soldan? And what interested you in founding the company while you were a student at WashU? Actually, I I did did not do any theater in high school. And the company was actually, the Black Rep was actually incorporated in 76. But prior to that, probably in 74, I want to think, we started a student group on campus primarily because the theater department at the time was not doing any work by black writers and African-American students who were in the department were not getting cast in the plays that the department was doing. Mm -hmm. And we decided to start our own student group on campus and to put on our own plays. And so that student group, which at the time was called the Phoenix Theater Troupe, evolved to become the black rep. Gotcha. And here we are today, so, 45 years and later. here we are, 45 years later. A group of students got together to fill a void, to create opportunities for ourselves. And 45 years later, we're here doing the same thing. We continue to fill a void, and we continue to provide opportunities and to showcase African-American talent on the stage so 45 years that's a journey just describe along that journey as an actor and a director what are some of the moments that kind of propelled you forward to improve your craft as an actor and a director i think that when you look back at the the, the, who were like the first generation black rep actors like linda kennedy and 
Jay Samuel Davis, Jermon Crenshaw, Rocky Patterson, Archie Jackson. A lot of some of the some of us had some theater training. A lot of us didn't, and so we really worked really hard to train each other, and we worked really hard to not make the same mistakes twice. Mm-hmm. And we found work that spoke to us. And as a result of finding work that spoke to us, it was it was easier for us to approach the work. It was easier for us to mount the work. And it was easier for us to find an audience mm-hmm. that the work spoke to. And so we just continued to operate in that vein, finding work that get the company, get the company of artists that were available or that were involved, but also to find work that spoke to an audience that had not seen the kind of work that we were doing, that were not other theaters in town doing the work that we were doing. And so we just constantly raised the bar for ourselves constantly try to improve our production values, constantly try to work with and collaborate with artists who could help to make us better. When did you make the shift, and it's not necessarily a shift, but you migrated into directing from acting? I know that you still do both. Yes. Initially, early on, I started directing out of necessity because there was not again, with a group of people who decided, hey, let's go. There was not a, quote, director in the group. And initially, we rotated on projects, people having a shot, and with us having a company, everybody did everything. So if you weren't directing, you were acting. If you weren't acting, you were running lights or hanging lights or doing costumes or working on the set. And I guess I really developed an affinity for directing I know I worked at it a lot, and and we brought in directors to work with us, and I think I learned from watching other people work. I began to go see a lot of theater and work at a lot of other theaters in town. For about four years or so, I worked constantly at the the old theater project company, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, they had some really talented gifted people at that company who influenced me a lot. I I met Woody King Jr. early on, and Woody had been a big influence on me. So I think it's just, again, through trial and error. That's a good teacher. Yeah. If you pay attention to the mistakes you make and correct them. Exactly, exactly. If you're not walking around with more ego than a will to learn, And I think that what I interested was really learning to be the best that we could be. We never wanted people to come see us because we were the black theater company. We wanted people to come see us because we were a good theater company. Great point. And folks, they're a great company. You need to go check some of the uh, shows out that they've got. Now, you mentioned someone who was like a mentor to you and... Maybe there were others along the way, too, and, and maybe still mentor oh, you. Yeah. Who were they, and, and what, what kinds of things did they give you that, that helped you become a better actor and director? I've had lots of mentors. We started the company as students at the university, so, of course, at the university, even before I started, we started doing 
the theater company, we had mentors. I had mentors who kept me in school, <laughs> <laughs> kept me focused. Gloria White, Dean Jim McLeod, Robert Johnson, who was the head of, who was a graduate student when I was an undergrad and who was head of the Association of Black Collegians. But then there were also artists. I Early on, I was not interested in being a participant, but I was in the audience at a lot of different art. The, the Black Artist Group bag was in was in full swing, and so I went to a lot of of their performances, music, dance, theater, whatever they were doing. The university was constantly bringing in groups. The Black Student Union would bring in artists. And I would see theater that way. But yeah, I just really was up. Stephen McKinley Henderson and John Cochran were uh, two actors who were working a lot at the Loretta Hilton mm -hmm. and were big influences on me because they were doing it. They were working professionally. They were very supportive. They still are. And so it's just been, I've been very fortunate to be able to stand on the shoulders of a lot of giants. You've produced and directed more than 100 plays. Are there some that stand out to you that really have spoken to you personally that are, are very valuable to you, to your soul? Yeah, of course. Certainly all 10 of the uh, American Century Cycle, the 10 plays written by August Wilson, we've produced all 10 of those plays. The Gospel at Colonus, we've done work by... We've been charged with trying to celebrate the rich canon of African-American literature for the stage, keeping plays alive like Ceremonies in Dark Old Men, The River Niger, Home by Samuel Williams. But also, we've also developed like 18, and I think it's 20 now, 20 world premieres. Wow. So not only have we had a commitment to continuing to honor playwrights and plays from the past, but we've also had a strong commitment to continue to try to add to the body of work. And I think that we've been fortunate enough to develop relationships with playwrights who have trusted us with their new work. We've been fortunate enough to have you know, directors and designers come in who brought history with them and also helped us to create history in the process. I mentioned Sam Williams. We did his play Home, and then we worked with Sam and did a musical version of Home. Hmm. Um, so we've done work like that. We worked with Michael Thomas Walker and Kristen Dale, to do a world premiere play a few years ago called Canfield Drive, mm -hmm. which spoke to the Ferguson, Michael Brown, yes. And so we, you know, we've done probably, I think Sweat is probably the fourth Lynn Nodditch play that we've done. Love her work, love all of her work. So yeah, it's been a wide range of stuff. We've probably done a half a dozen productions of Shakespeare with our own spin on them. Cool. And just a wide range of... So what is it about August Wilson? He, you know, 
what was he like personally, and how does that kind of come through in his work? Explain that to the listeners a little bit, because some may not be familiar with his work. August was a titan. He said he used to refer to himself as a race man, a man who was committed and dedicated to uplifting the black race and telling our stories. So he made a commitment to write a play for every decade of the 20th century, and, and he did. And wonderful plays, a very open, giving man, and a, a great storyteller, a poet, a visionary. I believe he arguably is the most prolific American playwright of the 20th century. Hmm. And his, his whole, the uh, Pittsburgh cycle, that century cycle, those 10 plays, I remember we saw two trains running, and we actually interviewed James Williams here in uh-huh, studio about yes. that, and uh, also talked mm-hmm. to James when uh, things were going crazy up in Minneapolis. And uh, right. then you've got the uh, play Jitney. Jitney, we're closing our season with this year. So we were the third country, third company in the country to complete all 10 plays. Wow. And that was the first time we went through the cycle. We sort of did the Ten plays as we could get them, as he wrote them, and as we could get them. After completing the cycle, we started through the cycle a second time, and this second time, which we're still in, we're going through the plays in chronological order. We're all the way back up to to Jitney, and after Jitney, we have King Hedley the Second and the Radio Golf, and then we will have completed the cycle for a second time. But the second time we've gone through it in chronological order, and I think that has really been a journey for us and for our audiences to see how all this takes us through the century. Do you, do you see a growth in his writing along the way as those progress? Oh, yeah. I think that each of his plays were stronger. I think that his voice became stronger, his message clearer. But I think the thing more importantly is that audiences began to receive his work more openly. I think initially, you know, some critics had issues with his writing, with his style. But as I said, he was a titan. He didn't let that affect how he approached his work. He didn't let it change how he worked. And he continued to tell stories about blacks in America with his own voice, always. And and spoke from his specific experience in Pittsburgh. Right. Now, and the the, the cycle is called the American Century Cycle, and nine of the plays were set in Pittsburgh, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was actually set in Chicago. Hmm. I want to give folks the number for the box office, 314-534-3807. 3145343807 or you can go to theblackrep.org theblackrep.org and there is a 50% seating capacity right now health protocols wearing masks inside correct Ron correct and you must have proof of vaccination or a negative covid test within 72 hours of your ticket date Okay, really important for that, folks, to, re- to remember that. Masking and... Uh, you must bring the proof of vaccination with you. We've had a couple of people who've gotten there and said, I'm back to them, we'll say, we need to see your vaccination card. We need to see proof of your vaccination. 
is so is you it must bring that with you. Is a copy okay? Like a photo? Oh, yes, a copy is okay. okay. On your phone is okay. As long as, and because you also have to bring your ID. And as long as your name on your ID matches the copy, the picture, your phone, documentation is all the same, then you're good. Sounds great. We're going to talk about each of the plays that are going to be coming in this season right now. Remember that sweat is going on and it goes through till Sunday and you can get tickets again at 314-534-3807. I want to talk about, Ron, the uh, education programs that you have and also the gala that's going to be coming up in uh, November with the Fisk Jubilee Singers. And I really want to know how you learned to juggle and what kind of magic tricks you do, okay? (laughs) Ron, so where did you learn to juggle? And tell me about these magic tricks. I, As I mentioned, I've worked with the theater project company for years. And I used to tour in their the Muni Student Theater Project Company, which was the company that Theater Project Company sent into the schools and their education program. Mm-hmm. And early on, we did a lot of training, tum, tum, some tumbling, some juggling. And so we learned juggling for a show that we were going to do. And we practiced a lot during rehearsals. We chased balls around the rehearsal all a lot. And managed to be able to be pretty good with three balls. I watch people juggling now, the kind of how juggling has exploded in terms of the kinds of things that people are juggling and the numbers of things that people juggle. Right. I really don't talk about my juggling much anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know if you were juggling on the golf course or what, because I know you like to play golf also. Oh, yeah, and I haven't been able to get much of that in, but every now and then I still get out and get around in, and I do when I can, but no, only juggling I'm doing now is schedules and projects. Yeah, when you were talking earlier about you were directing and or acting and everybody had to do something, I figured that's where you learned the juggling right there. That was the real-life juggling rather than juggling balls or something like that. Oh, yeah, and juggling the book, you know, because actually my undergraduate degree was um, in business administration. And for a lot of those early years, I did the books as well, and that came in very handy. Now, you've got five shows, correct, in this season? Yes, yes, we do. And they uh, they will vary from being at uh, Edison Theater or the Hotch- Hotchner Studio Theater or COCA. And give us a little synopsis of each of the plays that individuals will be having a chance to see. Next up after Sweat, which closes on Sunday the 26th, is Dontrell Who Kissed the Sea. And it'll be the next production at the Edison Theater. It will run January 12th through the 30th. And I'll just read you the blurbs. How about that? That sounds Uh, great. Yeah, when 18-year-old Dontrell Jones decides to voyage into the Atlantic Ocean in search of an ancestor lost during the Middle Passage, his family struggles with the thoughts of losing its prized son to the waters of a mysterious and haunting past. Blending poetry, humor, wordplay, and ritual, this rhythmic journey is a present-day hero's quest to explore the limps and depths we must go to to rewrite history's wrongs. That's January 12th through the 30th, okay? Then uh, we moved to the Hotchner Theater, which is the small black box theater. Mm-hmm. 
and we're doing, oh, by the way, Don Trail Who Kissed the Sea is written by Nathan Allen Davis, a wonderful young player. Next up is Fireflies, which is by Donja R. Love. It'll be directed by Andrea Fry, and uh, it's set in Jim Crow South. Tells the story of Olivia, the inspiring speechwriter and force behind her charismatic husband and his freedom movement. When four little girls are bombed in a church, the couple's relationship is thrown into jeopardy. As Olivia begins to bleed, the world ain't no place to raise a colored child. This intimate performance allows viewers to experience the powerful drama from Olivia's female-led perspective. It's a wonderful two-character play that I think um, audiences will really love. And that's uh, February 9th through the 27th. Correct. February 9th through the 27th at the Hotchner Studio Theater, which is in the same building, the, the Mallinckrodt building, which is where Edison is located. Okay. Then for the first time, we're going to move to the new Burgess Theater at Coca with a production called Behind the Sheet, which is written by Charlie Yvonne Simpson. It will run at the Burgess Theater from March 16th through April the 3rd. In 1840s Alabama, Philomena assists a doctor, her owner, through experimental surgeries on her fellow slave women in search of a treatment for a common post-childbirth complication. This compelling work challenges what history remembers, though the women who experience these involuntary surgeries and reframes the very origin story of a great medical breakthrough. This production will be made possible in part by the Ensemble Studio Theater and the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation for Science and Technology Projects. So it's really a wonderful play for Women's History Month, set in Women's History Month, about it should hopefully deal with issues of women's reproductive health. Yeah, I was wondering when I read some of that whether it was Henrietta Lacks or not, and I'm glad you clarified that for me. Yes, yes, no, it is actually Marion Sims who who did all of these really horrible surgeries on these women looking for a cure mm. to fix uh, fistulas in women. Mm. And then we will close the season in May 11th through the 29th. We will return to the Edison Theater and close the season with August Wilson's Jitney. Set in the 1970s, August Wilson's first play in his 10 plays, 10 decades of history in Pittsburgh, takes place in the midst of urban renewal, which threatens to eliminate the makeshift gypsy cab. The story follows a group of men who make a living driving these cabs as they navigate love as fathers and sons, lost in hope, and ultimately community. This must-see work comes to life with a passion that transcends all races. And again, that is May 11th through the 29th. It is the final show of our five-play main stage season. Then, as you mentioned, in November, on Saturday, November 13th, for one night only, we will present annual gala, and we will present the Grammy Award-winning Disc Jubilee Singers in Concert. And that will be at the 560 Music School building, which is on Trinity there in U-City as well. 
And you can get information on that, folks, theblackrep.org and annual gala. That's up at the uh, top, and you can get some information on that. That's Saturday, November 13th. And if, for tickets, individual or you can still do season tickets, theblackrep.org or 314-534-3807. Ron, have you been able to get into the schools at all? I know that they have their issues with COVID and masks and everything else going on, doing some touring or uh, doing some of the per- summer performing arts. Have you had the opportunity to do any of that or schedule any? Uh, we are in the process of scheduling. We haven't been in any of the schools. We're actually doing a couple of workshops. In a couple of schools right now, we're doing some work over at Sumner High School. We're doing some work over at Sophia Bowman, which is a, a Catholic elementary school in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. We've had some meetings with the superintendent of St. Louis Public Schools. We've got a meeting coming up with the superintendent of University City Schools. And we are scheduling meetings with superintendents and curriculum coordinators hoping that really focusing on getting into the school's second semester. I think schools are trying to get a handle on getting kids back in school after being out for a year. Right. And uh, we are in the, mo- in the process of planning our programming, working on our programming, and having it ready when the schools are ready to have us come in. But we will also, our school offerings will also be able to stream during the second semester as well so that schools that are interested in programming but are not having visitors come into their buildings, we would still be able to offer them virtual programming. We've got two shows that we're working on for middle school and high school. One is a play by Joseph Henderson called Waiting for Martin. And it's a story about three homeless kids who are waiting for Martin Luther King to come to their city Mm. and hopefully make their lives better. Another show we're working on is by Lisa Evans, and it is called Singing, Stamping, and Shouting Home. And it's a story about a young girl who is the great-granddaughter of Sojourner Truth. And so she learns about civil rights and prejudice through hearing stories about her great-grandmother and her community. Mm. And then we've got a, a new show that I've talked to the writers. We've commissioned a couple to write a show for the elementary grades, K through 4. And it's a work in progress. The title has changed a couple of times, and so I'm not sure uh, what it's called right now, but it, <laughs> it will hopefully be ready for second semester. I really appreciate you you doing that latter item, really reaching out into the schools. It's You have to pass on what you have learned and the joy and love of theater and how theater can really educate and help people come together and talk about tough issues and work through them. I really appreciate you doing that. That's a huge thing. Yes, you know, from the very beginning, we've always done programming for young audiences, for young people and families, and there were several reasons for that. One, that was the easier thing for us to do in the days when we didn't have a theater. We could always develop work to take into the community and into the schools and into churches, community centers, the libraries. But also, it just was a commitment of mine to be able to expose children to theater at as early an age as possible. Yes. I was one who I probably saw my first play when I was a freshman in high school. 
And I had buddies who probably didn't see their first play until after I started. But sometimes you just, if you're not exposed, you don't know. And um, we want to make sure that we can expose young people and families to theater and hopefully make it part of their, an integral part of their lives. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and talking with us about the 45th season, about your the things that you've learned about your philosophy. And, Ron, it's good to have you on, and I want you to feel welcome to come on in anytime and uh, let us know what's going on in the theater world for you. And uh, we'd be happy to always promote what the Black Rep's doing here in the St. Louis metropolitan area. Ron Himes, thanks for oh, coming great. on. Thank you, thank you. Maybe we'll get in touch if we can get the director of the Jubilee Singers. Wow. And maybe we can get him and get him on to talk about the history of the Fish Jubilee Singers. I would love to do that because they have. it's a very interesting history. It's a very interesting yes, history. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, well, thank you so very much. Have a great weekend. I hope that your listeners will take advantage of you announcing the last three performances of Sweat, which are tonight and tomorrow, Friday and Saturday at 8 and Sunday at 3 o'clock. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ron. You have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out our website, stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.